in this series, Advantageous, what, what we're doing is we're learning the benefits that Christmas brings. I don't know if you've realized this, but Jesus brought with him some promises when he was born. And some of these promises, there's, there's four that I want to look at in this series. It's hope, peace, joy, and love. Now, if you've grown up in church, you might recognize those four promises as the four themes of Advent. And that's what we're going to look at in this series called Adventageous. Now, maybe you're here and you have no idea what Advent is. You are in good company because we are officially 12 years old as a church. And in the history of our 12 years, I have never once done a traditional Advent series, or at least as traditional as we would do anything here. But we're going to take some time to honor tradition. You know, we started this year with this theme called Ancient Future Now. Just this year, I've, I've been really um, endeared to a lot of early Christian tradition. And Advent is a Christian tradition dating all the way back to the third century. That's the earliest um, notes we have, uh, likely before then, though. And in the Advent season, there's really two things that happen. There's preparation and commemoration. We, we prepare our hearts for Jesus' second coming, and, and we commemorate when he came to earth. We commemorate his nativity. So if you're not familiar with Advent, though, you, you, you probably uh, are at least a little bit familiar with this. And this is an Advent calendar. This is kind of a nice one, not like the ones I grew up with. I, I grew up with these Advent calendars that were these cheap little plastic things. You poke a hole in it, and it gives you the worst tasting chocolate you've ever had in your life. How many you know what I'm talking about? Okay, some of you didn't raise your hand. I feel sorry for your childhood, honestly. Um, you're missing out. But um, this is an Advent calendar, and the, the way it works is like you would pull this out and Generally, there's like a little scripture and you read the scripture and you tell the story of Christmas through that scripture. And then there's also some chocolate that you get to have. And that's, that's Advent. And every Advent calendar I've ever seen is always like this, 1 through 25, starts on December 1st and ends on Christmas Day. But what you need to know is that is a lie. It is absolutely a lie. Because Advent doesn't always start on December 1st. And so if you've already had your chocolate, I'm sorry, that's, you've got to spit it out. Because today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent starts on the fourth Sunday from Christmas Day. So since Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, today is the first day of Advent. Or you can think of, of it starting on the Sunday closest to November 30th. But Advent just means the coming or the arrival. And that's why traditionally Advent was divided into two themes. It was focusing on Jesus' second coming. He, he said, I will come again. And he told us that in the gospels and we see that written in the epistles and we get a picture of that in Revelation. He said, I'm coming again. Jesus has a second coming. But then we also shift focus in the next two weeks to when he came as a baby born in a manger. And so just, if you're, if you're new to Advent, kind, kind of the takeaway that you can write down or just remember is that in Advent, we prepare for Jesus' return by looking back at Jesus' arrival. 
That's what we do during the Advent season. Now, the tradition I grew up in, I grew up in the Methodist church. And in the Methodist church, what they would do is they would invite a family to come up. And I don't really know how they chose the family, but they chose a family to come up. And the whole family would come up, you know, mom, dad, and kids. And, and they would come and then there would be a reading. And the reading would usually consist of three things. There was a scripture reading. There was something referred to as a call. And then there was a third part called the response. And I just thought it'd be great for us to all do that today. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But so we're like, I hope he doesn't call on me. But I, what I will say is that a call and response, it's not just like a Methodist tradition. It's biblical and it's part of historic Christian tradition. Like what I want you to get is that even just being part of our church, church is not meant to be a monologue where somebody's up here and, and they're giving a speech and then you go your way. That, that's not what church is. Church is meant to be a dialogue. There, there's a call and response. There's the reading of scripture. There's the call that comes from scripture. And as that scripture speaks to you, that there's a responsibility that, that you have a part to play. And you say, I'm gonna apply that to my life. Or yeah, that speaks to me. Amen, I agree with that. Or you take notes. Because you're, you're not just here to listen to a message. You're, you're here to receive from God's word and worship God and engage with his word. And so... The family would come up, they'd do the reading, and then they would light a candle or light these candles because there's four different candles, sometimes five. The, the fifth one is the center one here. It's called the Christ candle. But even these candles are symbolic. And, and what the candles represent, of course, is light. Now, light in Scripture is a picture of God's goodness, of the gospel of salvation. And so... As we light these candles, we symbolize that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And in this time of year, we're in the Northern Hemisphere, the, the, the time of day gets darker earlier. What we're recognizing is that Christ's light grows. We light each successive candle as we move closer to Christmas. In a world that is getting increasingly darker, Christ's light shines brighter. And as the, the light shines brighter, just even with these candles, we also recognize that the anticipation in our hearts for what God wants to do in us and through us, that grows as well. And so these candles here, they all have, have different meanings. You can see there's a, there's a pink one in the center, the white, or pink one in front, there's a, a white one in the center. All of them have different meanings. But the one we're gonna start with, and it's the traditional one to start with, is, is this one, and it's called the, the prophecy candle. The prophecy candle, I'll go ahead and, and, and light it here. The prophecy candle is given that name in memory of the, it represents the, the hope that was brought by prophets who foretold the birth of Christ. You see these in the Old Testament. One of these prophets was a man named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called by God to speak for God to the people. And Jeremiah, he has a whole big book filled with his prophecies and then another book called Lamentations. But one of the things he said, prophesying about Jesus, in Jeremiah 33, verse 14 through 16, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. 
David was the king of Israel and God gave him a promise that there would always be somebody from his lineage who would be on the throne. This is what he's talking about. He will do what is just and right in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. Now, to understand why this would have been so meaningful to them, it's helpful to know the context in which Jeremiah was speaking. And really to know that, we're gonna look at a different book Jeremiah wrote, Book of Lamentations. Now, I, I get when we're talking about hope, lamentation is not the first word that comes to mind. Even if we're talking about the, the prophetic hope of the Messiah, we don't even think about the Book of Lamentations because so much of Lamentations, it's, it's really about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. That's the context that Jeremiah was speaking to. In 586 BC, the Babylonian empire led by King Nebuchadnezzar II came to Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, and as a result, took many from that nation into captivity. That's what's called the Babylonian exile. It's a period of history for the, for the Israelites. Not, not just those who were taken into captivity, but uh, the nation also suffered, what, what they suffered, experienced by their survivors, it's no wonder people were distraught, just as you could imagine. And this is the setting into which Jeremiah was speaking. Most of his ministry took place during this time. So Jeremiah, he, he sees what's going on. He sees the, the people's pain. He, he sees the the rubble of the city. And he writes this poetic and prophetic book called Lamentations. And if you were just to read the book of Lamentations, it's only five chapters, relatively short. If you were to read through it, you would probably get through it and feel very depressed because it doesn't seem like there's much good going on. But right in the middle of the book, in chapter three, where we're gonna look at, Jeremiah points them to a promise and this is what I want us to read together today. Lamentations chapter three, starting in verse 20. He says, my soul is downcast within me. There's a lot of trouble, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. My soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. I like how he's kind of talking about God and then he just kind of gets so worked up thinking about the goodness of God. I was like, great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now the hope that he's referencing is that promise I read to you earlier in Jeremiah 33. He's referencing the hope and promise of a savior. And as we light this first candle today, what I wanna talk to you about are the three kinds of hope that Christ brings through Christmas. The three kinds of hope that are brought by the birth of Jesus. And the first one is this, that, that Christ brings a hope to sustain me. Christ brings a hope to sustain me. I know for many of us, it's probably a little hard to relate 
to the plight of the Jewish people who were living in captivity in Babylon. Like most of us, that's so far removed from our modern world, we can't even imagine what that would have been like. But there is something in Jeremiah's prophecy in the book of Lamentations that I immediately identify with. And I wonder if you identify with it too. And that's where he says in verse uh, 21, verse 22, he says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. It's the word consumed. It's funny to me how in this Christmas season where, you know, we really should be preparing our hearts and everything should be moving our life in that direction of thinking about what Jesus has done for us. It's so easy for our life to be consumed, consumed by everything that's going on. I mean, this is like the biggest consumer holiday of the year. But I just mean consumed by by life. Like there's something about this time of year that like the pressure is magnified and the time is accelerated. You've got increased demands of family needing you and everybody has expectations on you. And that there's, if you're a business owner or a business leader, there's the pressure of trying to get everything done before the end of the year, a new year starts. And maybe just personally, there's the things that you wanted to see happen and you know that time is coming to an end. I'm not just talking even just the stuff with the year and parties to go to. I just mean, you take on top of that, the reality for so many people in our lives in this church right now, where where it's not just the the pressure of the year, but there's people in your life or maybe you personally dealing with serious illness, serious diagnosis. Yes, there's the family demands, but, but the, the tension of the season stretches even further, all, already stretched relationships. And, and now you've got, got stuff in your family or marriage or, or friendships that, that are, are very tenuous. And the things going on in the, in the world, the stuff that's on the news. On, on top of that, you, you, you have the manufactured pressure that's placed on us by the commercialization of this season where you feel this pressure to just make everything right, make every moment like it's gotta be perfect. It's no wonder we can resonate with Jeremiah when he says, my soul feels downcast within me. I'm overwhelmed. It's getting to me. That's why I love what he says next. Yet this I call to mind. And this is why I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Get that. Why am I not consumed? It's not because of my effort. I'm I'm not consumed because I planned really good. And I've I've got, you know, all my priorities in order. I'm not consumed because... I've got a good strategy or I've just got broad shoulders and, you know, I was built for this and I've got endurance. I'm not consumed because I'm living right or because I came to church today. I'm not consumed because I put my devotional time in. No, it's not anything to do with me. I'm not consumed because of the Lord's great love for me. I'm trying to help you. That's encouraging. I want you to see that Jesus brings a hope that sustains you. In a season where it's very easy to feel overwhelmed, to feel consumed, 
the hope that he brings will sustain you. I've heard it said that you can live for 40 days without food. You can last eight days without water. You can go four minutes without oxygen, but you want to know what you can't live without? You can't live without hope. You can't live without hope. And I believe that there are too many people who are trying to survive in this season in a very hope-deprived world. The reason so many people feel hopeless is because they put their hope in the wrong places. There's a lot of places you can put your hope, but you put your hope in somebody else, a friend, a family member, that person may let you down. Spouse. You put your hope in a certain expectation, certain outcome that you need things to go this way. Things might not turn out that way. You can even hear some people say, that's, that's why, you know, I just, I don't trust people. I only trust myself, only trust what I can control. Hey, I get that. But you are a limited resource. You've got limited energy, limited wisdom, limited strength. And you will even see in this season that just counting on yourself doesn't always work. That's why I love what the writer of Hebrews says. He, he tells us in Hebrews 10.23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Well, what is the hope we profess? That God has provided for us through his son, Jesus. I, I love that picture because he's saying, look, there's a hope we have, but you've got to take hold of it and not let go. The reality is some of us have a hard time holding on to hope is because we've grabbed hold of so many other things. We've grabbed hold of anxiety, we've grabbed hold of worry and we've grabbed hold of stress and grabbed hold of pressure and we've grabbed hold of fear and we've grabbed hold of what if. You say, Pastor, that sounds good. I, I'd like to hold on to hope. I'd, I'd like to grab hold of it and, and not let go, but I don't know how to let go of all this stuff that I'm already holding on to, to even get free to hold on to hope. Well, let's just think practically about this for a moment. How do you hold on to fear and worry? You you let those thoughts just replay in your mind. So, some of you, anxiety really at its core, it's, it's you're coming up with scenarios that may never happen. And I'm not saying it happens automatically, but it can happen with intentionality, is that instead of letting your mind play out scenarios, worst case scenarios, that may never happen. What about this? And what if this? Begin to, to shift in your mind. God's got something good for me. That, that God wants to sustain me. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to go the way I want. It doesn't mean that I'm always going to get the things that are easy. It might be hard, but, but God knows what's good for me. Even in things that are hard, he can use that to strengthen me. Even in things that, that I wouldn't wish, God can turn it around and use it for my good. Even in things that, that I, I might not want, that, that God knows what I need. Amen. Begin to let, let your mind embrace the hope that God is working on your behalf. And because of Jesus, he has a hope that will sustain you. It's my prayer that if you are already feeling consumed, uh, somebody texts me. 
the other day, they, they said, uh, I shouldn't tell this because Marissa's in here. It's going to give away my secret. But they're like, hey, um, I know you don't like to wrap presents. And so if you, if, you, uh, if you get the gifts, I'll wrap them for you. And I said, God bless you. I love you so much. <laughs> but I was like, that means I have to buy them first. And you might feel like, oh, I've got all this pressure. The time is ticking. I just want you to know, I want you to receive the sustaining hope that Jesus brings. And that's just the first one. Let me give you the, the second one. The second hope that Jesus offers. Jesus offers the hope for a fresh start. The hope for a fresh start. See, in Lamentations, Jeremiah was, you might have guessed it, lamenting. He, he's hurting along with everybody else. He's pouring out the pain that's in his heart in this text. And maybe just as a side note, that would encourage you to know that the people God uses are not immune from pain. That just because you're following God, just because you're called by God, just because you're anointed by God, just because you're in God's will, doesn't mean that your life is going to be free from heartache free from problems, free from hardship. Sometimes we can buy into this lie that if we're living the way we should and we're doing things right and if it's God's will, like everything is easy. Can I tell you, Jesus never promised you that your life would be free from trouble. You just need to understand. I know that might not sound encouraging, but it is when you recognize that just because you're going through something hard doesn't mean that you've done something bad or that you've done something wrong. Jesus never promised you a life free from trouble. In fact, he promised you the opposite. Let me show you what he said in John 16, 33. In the world, you will have much trouble. I notice we don't have a song about that one. We like the good news song. Like, you've got trouble, you've got lots of trouble. No, we don't hear that song. <laughs> one good news. But look at what he says. He says, but take hope. I have power over the world. In other words, there's a hope that you can take when you feel powerless. When, when you feel like you don't have what it takes, when you feel like everything is, is messed up, that's what Jeremiah is doing. He says, Look, I, I know all the things that are going on. I, this stuff is affecting my soul, but I'm not going to stay there. And I, I love this because he's not hiding behind some kind of false reality. He's not denying that there are some life-altering difficulties going on right now. He just says, that's not what I'm going to put my mind on. Not denying the reality of it, but I'm going to put my mind on the hope from God. He, look at what he says. He says, this is the hope I have. First, that God's going to sustain me. But second, that his compassions are new every morning. In other words, God's got grace for your mistakes. That might be the, the word that some of you need to hear today. It's hope for a fresh start. God's got grace for your mistakes. I know you might have messed things up. I know even this week, like, you had to change some holiday plans, and now they're mad at you, and it is your fault, but you don't want to admit it. God's got grace for your mistakes. Even the bigger stuff, some of you might feel like, I, I don't know, you know, I've, I, I've made some poor decisions. I responded to some things in a way I shouldn't. I've, I've done some stuff that is absolutely 
a sin. It's not honoring to God. Can I tell you, God's got grace for your mistakes. You know, it, it, it might have been a poor decision, but it, it's not so bad that his grace can't redeem it. You, you may have gone way off course, but you're not too far from God for him to restore you. You, you know, that there's, there's lots of times where we feel, I, I know, in a room like this, it's so easy for people to feel like, man, I don't know that I'm worthy of God's love. I know the stuff that I've done. I know stuff that I consciously made a decision. I, I thought about that. I knew the consequences. I did it anyway. And I'm just trying to help you see, like, despite what you've done, you are not too far from God's forgiveness and from his grace. You need to know God sees you. He knows you. He cares about you. He, I, I know that because he brought you here to hear this message. He knew you would be. It's not an accident that you're here. He loves you the way you are, but see, he also loves you too much to leave you where you are. And he's going to constantly invite you into his purpose and into his plan and extend his grace towards you. And I know you might have some regrets, and I, I know you might even be suffering from the fallout of some of the decisions that you made. And I know if you could do it over again, you would probably do it differently. I'm not saying that bad decisions are without consequences. I just want you to know that bad decisions are not without redemption. And if you messed up yesterday, Jeremiah tells us that there is a new day. There is hope for a fresh start. And today is a new day. And you can receive his grace. Because with Jesus, there's hope for a fresh start. But that's not the last one. I also want you to know that because of Jesus, you can have hope for my needs. Jesus brings hope for my needs. Verse 24 says this, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. What does that mean? The Lord is my portion. It's kind of strange because we don't normally talk like that. Well, most scholars and theologians would say that he's referencing what God did for them while the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. You might be familiar with the story. And they came out of slavery in Egypt. They disobeyed God because of their disobedience. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. But while they were in the wilderness, God didn't forsake them. He provided for them miraculously with manna. Manna was this divine angelic food, the original angel food cake. It was like this bread, this divine bread from, from heaven. And they would they'd wake up in the morning and look outside their tents and there would be enough manna for them for that day, just for that day. And what was funny is some people would try to hoard it because, again, they were fearful about tomorrow and what tomorrow might bring. They thought they, there might not be enough, so they would try to, to hoard it or they, they wouldn't eat it all. They'd save some for later and the manna would rot. It wouldn't be any good. The, the point of this is, is that God wants you to know that he's got what you need for today and you need him every day. You, you need him every day. And the, the thing I like about this passage in Lamentations is 
it tells us not only does God have what you need, he is what you need. He is, that, that's what it means. The Lord is my portion. He's what I need. In other words, like if something is off in your marriage, something is off in your relationship, he is what your marriage needs. If, if you're feeling distraught in your mind, plagued with, with burden and, and, and turmoil in your mind, he, he's what your mind needs. If, if you're, you're feeling weak, he is the, the strength that you need. If you've got sickness in your body, he, he's the healing that you need. He is what you need. And I like how in verse 25, he says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Because it reminded me of something Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33. I want to start in verse 31, but Jesus said, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You know why God could promise to meet everything you need when you seek him? Because he is what you need. He's your portion. He, he's, he's what you need. The only thing I've noticed is that sometimes what we want and what we need are two different things. Often two different things. I mean, it is Christmas time. You're going to be getting gifts. Sometimes there's a gift that you want, but sometimes you get the gift that you need. Some of you have got that gift before. Some of you guys, you got the nose hair trimmer. Not the gift you want. It's the gift you need. Just, just receive it. Amen. Every, every gift sends a message. It really does. You know, every gift sends a message. That's why you got to be careful about the gifts you get. You thought I would wear this. Every gift sends a message. What does a gift card say? I'm lazy. That's every gift sends a message. One time Marissa wanted, I, I'm not making this up. She, she requested a treadmill for Christmas. I said, I'm not getting it for you because every gift sends, I will give you money. You do what, the money what you want, but every gift sends a message. I'm not, not getting that for you. But every gift sends a message and sometimes what we want isn't what we need. God is a good gift giver. You think about the fact that what he gave us was a savior through his son, Jesus. Why did he give us a savior? Because that's what we need. Think about just in the context that Jeremiah was prophesying, what, what they wanted, they wanted to be free from Babylonian captivity. Think about the time period in which Jesus came. What the Jewish people wanted, they wanted to be out from Roman occupation. That they, they wanted a conquering king. That's how they thought the Messiah would come. That's what they wanted. What they needed was to be saved from their sin. They needed freedom from the power of sin in their life. And see, Jesus... He brought hope to sustain you, a hope that sustains you. He, he brought hope for a fresh start. He also brought hope for what you need. And some of you, what you need is a 
a savior. You, you might need saved from a dire situation that you're in, but, but some of you, what you really need is to be saved in your souls, to have forgiveness from sin. Even just as I'm saying that, you, you know, like the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now. That's you. You need to receive that. Jesus came to bring you hope, not, not a flippant hope, not a, not a hope that would fail. Powerful hope, hope that sustains, hope for a fresh start, a hope for what you need. And I'd be remiss not to close the service without giving you an opportunity to receive what you need. I didn't give you the title of this message, but I, I thought I would call it holding out hope. He talks about waiting for the Lord. That's so much of Advent is that we're waiting, waiting for the second coming, waiting, putting ourselves in mind what it would have been like waiting for the Messiah through the prophecies given in the Old Testament. But really what I thought about is how, how God is, he's holding out hope to you. He's offering it. He's waiting for you to receive it. 